This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. I recently attended the Ecological Society of America annual meeting in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and conducted a number of interviews. This is the first of those. I spoke with Andrew Trant of the University of Victoria, who had a talk titled Ecological Factors, Not Climate Warming, Explain Variability in Tree Lawn Patterns. I chatted with Andrew about his research. My name is Andrew Trant. I'm a postdoc researcher at the University of Victoria, British Columbia. I primarily study um, plant responses to climate change, so working with trees, shrubs, and uh, arctic vegetation. So what problem was your study trying to solve? Uh, we were interested in uh, trees' response to climate change, and where we're doing this is at the northernmost extent of forests. So. Uh, sort of a circumpolar approach looking around the world, uh, we're looking at tree line, so that area where the northern forest transitions into tundra. Um, and what we're interested in is the response of tree line to uh, recent climate change. And the idea, um, and something that the media has really uh, jumped on board with, is that with climate warming, there will be an advance of tree line. So trees are going to grow further north um, and displace Arctic and alpine species. So we undertook a large-scale uh, large approach to this question, and with colleagues at sites around the circumpolar tree line, uh, we started collecting data uh, in a similar fashion, using similar methodologies, so that we could address this question at uh, something that's greater than a local scale, but really have a larger scale uh, story coming out of this work. It sounds like there's a lot of different uh, sites, so I won't ask you to describe the one site, but like there's a lot of sites. Could you talk a bit about the, the, the study system itself in, in general? Yeah, so the work, uh, what the sites have in common is that they're all at the tree line tundra ecotone. Um, I did my PhD research at one of the sites in Labrador in the Mealy Mountains, so it's the site that I'm most familiar with. And in the Mealy Mountains, um, what we're dealing with is a, it's an alpine system, so tree lines can be either latitudinal or altitudinal, and so it's the same same mechanisms usually acting on these or that result in that tree line but as you for as I mentioned earlier as you move further north um, you transition into uh, low Arctic and Arctic and if as you move further up in elevation then you uh, transition into this alpine uh, alpine tundra so I was working in the Mealy Mountains and um, it's in yeah, central Labrador could you describe your sort of your main findings um, so just, I guess I'll just quickly mention how we, what we were doing. Uh, we were taking a demographic approach to this, so we were uh, looking at the ages of individuals in these areas um, and then trying to infer the extent of change that has occurred based on the age structure of the individual trees, saplings, and seedlings. And you can tell a lot, of, a lot about a population by how old the individuals are. So I live in Victoria, uh, BC, and it's overrun with old people. Not that, and I have nothing against old people, but you can, you can really tell a lot about the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years about what that area is gonna look like based on how old the people are. And so we took a similar approach to looking at tree line and how tree line is responding to climate change based on um, these different uh, abundance and uh, ages of the, the demographic 
category, so trees, seedlings, and saplings. And what we were interested in looking at was whether, with, this, with the sites all around the circumpolar tree line, we were wondering if warmer sites were, going, were changing more than cooler sites. So sites that have experienced more warming, are they showing more of a response than sites that were showing a moderate amount of warming? And, and we're looking at summer warming, we're looking at winter warming, and a whole suite of climate variables like precipitation and, and drought and, and snowfall and all of these uh, climatic factors. And then we're also uh, able to compare a lot of ecological and biogeographic factors. So more site level factors and factors that are specific to the trees themselves. And so our findings were uh, the pure measures of climate. So the extent that these sites have warmed uh, don't do a very good job of explaining the type of response that we're seeing. So the idea that we had that these warmer sites are going to be the ones that are um, responding to climate change uh, in a, a larger and a greater fashion, uh, we didn't see that trend. And we saw that more of these uh, site-level processes and the ecological factors were better for explaining the differences we saw between sites. And what do you mean by changes? Like in the like what's changing about them? Uh, well so we're looking at this idea of tree line advance okay. and so when I'm talking about uh, change and detecting change it's whether or not tree line was advancing in this okay. area so whether we're seeing um, a movement of trees either further north with uh, latitudinal tree lines or further up with the altitudinal tree lines and, we, and, that, and that surprised us because we we thought um, that the, the magnitude of response so that tree lines were going to be responding more in sites that had warmed more, mm -hmm. and we didn't see that. Interesting. So is this, is this, a, is this contrary to other studies? Uh, there, there, are, there have been some other really good papers. Uh, one, uh, a meta-analysis by uh, a colleague who I actually just ran into, uh, Melanie Harsh, and she looked at uh, more sites, but she, as from a meta-analysis, so she just went and dug around in the literature and compared 166 tree line sites, and she found that about half of them were showing or were showing evidence of advancing, and about half were not. Um, and she she had some some different results, but her study looked at winter warming as being one of the driving mm. factors, and that didn't really come out in our in our study. Mm. Okay. And what what about other other findings? And you said you said that uh, the ecological factors were more important. What what do you mean? Um, well, in terms of explaining the patterns that we saw. Um, factors, there's different types of tree lines, and some are um, referred to as being diffuse, so as you move across from forest into the tundra, you have a, a slow decrease in the tree density, um, and other tree lines have these persistent growth forms, like crumholds, mm -hmm. and we found that diffuse tree lines, so the, the type of trees that are present on these sites, um, are better at predicting the type of response that we'll see, so the tree line advance is, is is you see it more in areas that you have this gradual transition of uh, forest into tundra rather than these, uh, what end up being older, more persistent growth forms. So growth form uh, is something that we uh, were talking about as an ecological factor. So you said growth form is important, but what is it, what's behind growth form? Like what? Yeah, and that's where um, the title of the paper that I'm giving here, it's saying that climate isn't as important, or I, I don't, or isn't important yeah. as ecological factors. and that does need some qualifying because it's a lot of these ecological factors are shaped by climatic regimes. Mm. And so growth form is uh, 
in some cases, it's the long-term exposure to a certain climate regime that results in this form that we're seeing that we're then labeling as an ecological factor. Mm. So when I'm saying that climate isn't as important as ecological factors, it's really the extent of change that we're looking at and the amount of site warming and not necessarily the, uh, the climatic history of the area. So a lot of these factors, uh, climate is interacting with most of these, uh, the biogeographic and site level factors are influenced by climate. And so climate kind of comes into all of the story, but it's what we, what we were looking at was the extent of change and how much these sites are warming. And that's not a very good predictor of, okay. uh, of tree line change. So, so given your, your findings, what, um, what do you think are the consequences for the ecosystems that you study? Because we were, our original idea was that we could look at a map and say, okay, well, these areas are warming more. Uh, they're going to be experiencing more change. And so tundra and alpine areas and species that rely on alpine and tundra are more at risk. And what we're really seeing is that there's, there are other factors that are probably more important in understanding this change. And there are also a lot of this change that uh, what we're discovering is that it's non-linear and that you have these thresholds. And so an area might not be showing any response and then suddenly it reaches a certain amount of growing degree days or some sort of climactic signal and then it, it responds more quickly. Um, yeah, so the, the consequences at the ecosystem level are, are unclear and it's one that we're left, uh, in some ways we're left scratching our head and saying that, well, there's, there's variability that we're not, um, that's not being expressed or uh, explained very well by climate. And so it's, it gets into, well, are, are these local climatic factors more important than these regional climate signals? But tree line change has really important consequences for uh, positive feedback uh, in terms of accelerating more warming where you have uh, more heat being absorbed with a lower albedo um, you do have the displacement of Arctic and Alpine habitats, uh, but then you do have the flip side to that is you have more carbon being sequestered. So mm -hmm. there's the potential that you are displacing species, but then you also are potentially taking down more carbon. Okay. So, um, so how general do you think your results are, and you know, in what, in what, um, in what cases would you expect you know the same or different patterns and cases being. Um, locations in the world, uh, times, whatever. Yeah. Well, we're. I'm. I'm really hoping that these these results are quite general. And by having mm -hmm. uh, sites all over the subarctic, um, we do have we have fairly decent representation um, all around treeline. And so we're hoping by taking a, an approach like this at the scale that we're looking at things that these results are are general. So do you plan to build on the, on the research? Yeah. yeah. What do you plan to do? Um, well, we've actually started um, another uh, project, which is uh, G-Tree. So it's the Global Tree Range Expansion Experiment. Um, and what we're finding is that the approach that we took for this work, um, it it's, it's reconstructing and it's looking at patterns and trying to infer what the mechanisms are. And so mm -hmm. we're taking the more experimental approach now. And we have... I think around 70 sites around the world and uh, tree line, all kinds of tree lines, so northern tree lines and alpine tree lines. And it's a really cheap, cost-effective study that we're 
implementing, and it's we're planting. It's a seed planting experiment, looking at what the limitations are. So for tree line to advance, uh, you need a seed source, and you need a seed bed, and you need the conditions to be suitable for seedling survival. Okay. And so, um, as far as we know, it's the largest uh, tree line experiment to date. And so we have colleagues from all over uh, who are all going to be, and some already have, uh, implemented this protocol. And this is with a, a colleague uh, kind of spearheaded by Dr. Chris Brown, who's at Memorial University. So what was the most um, challenging part of the, of the, the research that we're talking about? Um, in, in terms of this, this story that we're talking about today, uh, having a lot of data from so many sites is, a, is kind of a dream for an ecologist because you get to tell a, big, a great, a bigger story to a, potentially a larger audience. Um, but the downside is that you have people's data that everyone's collected in a slightly different fashion. So it's putting all of the data together, figuring out what people did, why they did it, because there's always these decisions that you make when you're out in the field, and they're all they all make sense at the time. But sometimes it's people don't record that thought process very well for why they did something, mm -hmm. and so bringing together data from from a few sites in Russia and uh, mm -hmm. a couple in Norway, it's really it is challenging to um, to make sure that what you're compare what you're doing is comparing uh, the same types of data and that. So you want to make sure you're comparing apples, apples to apples, apples yeah. and not oranges to, to apples. Yeah. Right. So, did you did you converse with the authors of the studies, or did you just get everything you needed from the papers? No. So, um, a lot of the, these data haven't been published yet. Oh, okay. Um, and so, during the international polar year, uh, our research group uh, had uh, um, PPS Arctic was the name of it, and we had colleagues working all across Treeline, okay. and we met numerous times and developed these protocols. Um, and so our methodologies was standardized so that when we would go out, we knew that we were collecting data in somewhat of a similar fashion. Mm -hmm. And then a few times a year, we would meet and talk about the data. And so the co-authors on this paper, there are a lot of them, um, but they've all been very involved in the, mm -hmm. in the design of the methods um, and then the analysis and interpretation. Mm -hmm.